1: Good evening, Ron Geyer back with more
2: End Time Insights. We're talking about the Word of God. I love it, I love it, I love it. Uh, and there's so many aspects to it. Uh, the Word of God, we're introducing the topic. Uh, what was it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we left off talking about 2 Corinthians 4.16. We're trying to give you the understanding of what happens when you read the Bible, why you need to read the Bible. Uh, when you read the Bible, you are reading Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 4.16, uh, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. It's important that you understand that the outward man, your earth suit, your body, is your legal license to being in this earth. Okay, you must have a body to be here. That's why Satan's here illegally. No body, then he wants yours. Right? Or we will take an animal, a pig, or a dog. But no, Satan needs a body. And he doesn't get mine. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so we need to understand that. Because it's our souls that you can't see that will be eternal. Our spirits are born again now in Christ Jesus. They will live forever. You will live forever. Either way, you're not going to die. You're a spirit being. Spirits don't die. There's no death to spirits. Even in hell, you don't die in hell. But you are in a state of eternally perishing. Whew, you'd be better off if you could die. Anyway, Second Corinthians 4.16, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Our goals need to be properly prioritized, saints. Prioritized. Soul first, everything after that. Remember, what's in the beginning? The Word. At the beginning of each day, you need to accent the word. You need breakfast. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. Luke 4, 4, Jesus told us that. He is the word of God. You must feed on the word of God. You are a spirit being. Spirit beings don't eat cornflakes. They eat the word of God. They eat spirit food. That's why you must read the Bible. Jesus said, my words are spirit. They are life. They are truth. They are health, all your flesh. So the word at the beginning of each day, you need to accent the word at the beginning of each task, word first, the beginning of each life's endeavors should start with the word of God. Here it says we are to be renewing our souls day by day, energizing our spirits by the word of God. That's how you energize your spirit. That's how you feed your soul by the word of God. We must learn that, yes, our outward man, the body, the flesh, that's finite, But the bodies are dying. They are destined to destruction. So while they are getting old and perishing, our new man, our spirit man, is being renewed day by day. If we're reading the word of God, you must be reading the word of God. Each day is a new opportunity to grow spiritually, to know him better, to know Jesus better, to know God better. One man, the old man, our bodies, has been made for this earth. You understand that? You must have a body to be here legally. But the other man, right, the new man has been created for eternity. He'll get a new spirit body later on, right? Uh, Corruption must put on incorruption. But for now, we must still feed our spirits, our souls to maintain their proper health. That's what I talk about when I say the church is malnourished. We're not eating spirit food. We're being entertained in our churches. We're hearing sermons on how to live a better life, your best life now, how to be popular, how to be successful. That is not spirit food. You don't go to church to eat this stuff. You go to the entertainment, to a concert, but that's not what you eat at church. At church, you eat the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God. And so spirit and soul are on a word diet. Spirits eat spirit food, and our spirits then feed our souls. It's a sad truth, but it must be said the church in America is malnourished. We simply are not feeding our spirits. What they eat, that's what they desire. God made spirits to eat spirit food. Paul says it here in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I'm going to break this down. It's so good. Concerning this, we have much to say, and it may not have been Paul, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews. It probably was Paul, but that's still up for dispute. Concerning this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing, and you have become, uh uh-oh, disinclined to listen. You not only have become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing— But you've also become disinclined to listen. You have lost your love for the word of God. This is exactly what I'm talking about, saints. The Hebrew Christians, because of the wrong spiritual diet, they were receiving poison from the Judaizers Right, who were telling them that, well, Christ isn't enough. Yes, he's okay, and he's a good start, but you still need to keep the Jewish laws. You still need to keep the Jewish festivals. It's not enough just to have Christ, and that was poison, and that was taking them away from their faith. It was dulling their hearing, and it was also making them, what's the phrase? It was making them disinclined to listen, just like the church at Ephesus, right? They lost their first love. They lost their love for Jesus. When you lose your love for Jesus, you lose your love for the Word. When you lose your love for the Word, when you stop reading the Bible, when you start reading the Word of God, you drift away and you will lose your love for Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to read that through. I read you Hebrews five eleven. Now I'm going to read you 12, 13, and 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, because of the time you have had to learn these truths, You actually need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of God's word from the beginning, and you have come to be continually in need of milk, not desiring solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a spiritual infant. He's a baby, but solid food is for the spiritually mature whose senses are trained by practice to distinguish between what is morally good and what is evil. To them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, use of what? Use of the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This writer is chastising the Hebrew Christians for their immaturity. He goes, look, you've been at this for a while now. As long as you've been at it, you should be mature. But no, you're not. Like today's Christians, they weren't eating properly. They were picking and choosing sweets and snacks over strong meat. This diet had caused them to be unfruitful, unskillful, and no longer desiring to hear the word of God. And yes, this is analogous to America's church today. The Hebrew Christians were missing out on a divine assignment. Because of their longevity as children of God, they were required, privilege to teach the word of God. But here they were told that they needed to repeat the course. Just like the great majority of Christians in our churches today, they had received a failing grade. What a sorry state of affairs to fail Christianity. Wow. They failed Christianity 101. Elementary principles. They failed and they had to repeat the course. And here comes the assessment of how they got to this place of failure. They snacked instead of feasted on the word of God. Like today's church, they avoided their meat and ignored their veggies. They remained spiritual infants. They didn't learn about sacrifice or suffering or tribulation and weren't taught that they had to go through hardships on the road to heaven. This is exactly like today and we are losing Christians in droves to this apostasy. Notice the language. It says, everyone is doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the word who only drinks milk. Notice, though, that those who diet on solid food instead of milk of the word have an advantage. Their senses have been heightened to discern between good and evil. You won't fool these people right from wrong, and they have become skilled in using discernment. This has led to one of the major problems in our church. Unfortunately, we fail to judge. We can't even read the scriptures correctly concerning judgment. We let anybody in our pulpit because we've not been feeding on the meat of the word that gives us a spirit of discernment. That's what uh, the writer was writing. Pastors and leaders fail to hear the spirit. They let anybody in their pulpits. They fail to hear the spirit and what is teaching them. They don't understand. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to break down the word here. I'll probably take the rest of time I have here, but this is so important. I'm going to use... This verse, which talks about judgment, it's Matthew 7, it's five verses, uh, it is one, two, three, four, and five, and I'm going to break down the Word of God. This is what's called a teaching the Word of God, there's a word that just slips my mind, whatever, but I'm going to break this down for you verse by verse, and then you're going to see how we have taken this verse, and it has created a doctrine which is false in our church, okay, Matthew 7, judge not That apologetics, judge not that you be not judged. You've all heard that said, right? Matthew seven, verse one, judge not that you be not judged. And it's the word of God, judge not that you be not judged. It's the words of Jesus Christ. It's written. It's true. It's absolutely true. The false teachers and the pastors have made whole doctrines out of these seven words, judge not that you be not judged. Teaching that we as a church, as an individual are not to judge anybody. And that's how Satan works. He twists scriptures and then he gets folks in our pulpits to confirm it. Because of exactly that reason, we now have a church that is scared to judge anybody or anything for that matter. The extent of the damage caused by this misappropriation of scripture is immeasurable. It is a huge reason why there is no self-discipline in the church It's the foundational reason why we can't discern who's in our pulpits because we have been taught not to judge. Let's continue on. For with what judgment you do judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Let's look at that in the Amplified. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so will you be judged. And in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment on others, judgment will be measured to you. So now we're seeing that this judge not, that you be not judged verse, as we're starting to bring it into its proper context, might be leading us in a different direction. Here, Jesus is warning those who judge hypocritically that it is those who are sinning while condemning others for their sin, Jesus is saying they will stand in the same judgment. He is saying, you decide how you will be judged. Now, to me, that seems rather fair, even by man's standards. Verse 3, And why beholdest, or why look thou the mote that is in your brother's eye, but not considers the beam that is in your own eye? He goes on, and he rebukes the brother Who is judging? And he tells him, Can you not see you have a similar problem? And your problem is actually worse than his. That's the comparison between beam and moat. Anyway, verse 4 How wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the moat out of your own eye, and behold, a beam is in your eye? So he's saying, You want to pull out the moat, the little thing that's in your brother's eye, but you're not dealing with the beam that is in your own eye. How dare you? What arrogance, the hypocrisy. Number one, Jesus has agreed that the first brother has a sin. Okay, right? So, right, the guy that wants to judge, he sees the sin, and then Jesus says, you're right, he does have sin. But now he tells the second brother who's doing the judging, you have sin also. Can you not see your own problem? In Jesus's view, Both are guilty of sin, right? But, ah, notice the actions of Jesus. What does he do? Don't forget, this is his church. Verse 5. Thou hypocrite. He judges the guy that's judging. Thou hypocrite. Okay, he's going to tell him what to do. He's got an assignment. First, cast out the beam out of your own eye. Okay, got it. And then thou shalt see... Clearly, why? To cast out the moat that is out of thy brother's eye. So you see that. He says, okay, yeah, your brother's sinning and so are you. Get clean yourself. Jesus does the second brother exactly what he wants him to do the first brother. Okay, second brother sees the first brother has sin. Got it. It's called a moat in his eye. Got it. He recognizes that and he sees it. Jesus wants the second brother to do what I'm going to do for you. He not only teaches the second brother, he demonstrates as well. He points out the sin of the second brother. The one who wants to judge the first brother is now called on the carpet by Christ for the same sin. Christ tells him, get clean, repent, get forgiven, and then go home. No, that's not what he says at all. Christ tells him, get clean, repent, get forgiven, and then cast the mote out of your brother's eye. Let's go back and read verse one. Judge not, lest you be judged. So then, then cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. These five verses have nothing to do with not judging. Quite the opposite is true. Jesus is rebuking the church for judging hypocritically. He's not saying don't judge. He's giving them the proper manner. He says, don't judge hypocritically. Quite the opposite is true than not judge. At the end of the day, our Lord wants the moat out of our brother's eye. And furthermore, he wants us to do it. But first, you make sure you're right. But for heaven's sake, saints, can we read this right? Can we please get the moat out of the brother's eye? That's what this is all about. I don't want this guy walking around with sin. I don't want him walking around with a motor in his eye. I want the moat out. I want you to get it out. But you make sure you're clean first. But that's our assignment. Yes, we make the judgment. My brother is sinning, but we don't condemn him. That's where the church is missing. It We're so busy copying what the world does. It's misunderstanding scriptures like that, that deprive us of the blessing of the Lord. And it keeps others in bondage. We must become skillful in the use of the word, but that will never happen as long as he put up with false doctrines by false teachers and we allow men and pulpits to twist God's words. Keeping scripture in context will go a long way in helping us rightly divide the word of truth. Here's another corresponding verse that's used to support the false teacher's doctrines about the church not judging, John 3.16 in the Amplified Classic. For God did not send his son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, or to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. Okay, you got that? The preachers, the false preachers. For God did not send the the son into the world to judge the world. Yes, that's in there, but there's more. And if you read your Bible, if you're a student of the Bible, you will understand what he's talking about. God did not send his son in the world in order to judge the world. This time, don't forget, there's a second coming of Christ. Jesus said, this is not the second coming of Christ when I will judge the world. Uh, This is my first coming when I want to save the world. But people say that, see, Jesus isn't judging anything. That is so false. Jesus tells us he didn't come in the world to judge the world. He is saying this visit is not the time when I will condemn the world. This is the opportunity for men to be saved. The final judgment will take place when I return. Yet some will use his words here to support their doctrine that we must never judge anybody. And they say, Jesus never judged, therefore we can't judge. It's wrong. And of course, that's a lie. Jesus never judged anyone to condemn them. No, but he constantly judged others to correct them. Remember Peter, right? Get thee behind me, Satan right? And so many others, the sons of thunder, can we sit left and right on your kingdom? Shall we not destroy them, call down fire from heaven, Lord, and burn them up? And Jesus says, no, you don't know what spirit you are. Understand something. Jesus went about correcting everybody. But judgment in the kingdom of God does not copy judgment in the world. Judgment in the world condemns people. We can't wait to tear people down. We can't wait to find their fault because it allows us to be better than them in our own eyes because the world is all about competition. Whereas in the church, you are pointing out people's sins not for the sake of condemning them, but for correcting them. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. What was Jesus Christ coming for? He was coming for to set us free from our sin. He was coming to correct our lifestyle, that required judgment Jesus judges all the time saints he's judging the church all day long Paul says you're supposed to be judging one another you're watching over one another you are your brother's keeper and yet because the world doesn't judge for correction the world judges for condemnation we have misapplied the word of god and now the church is dumber than a donkey we don't know what's right from wrong we don't know good from evil I mean, we are really, really in the ditch. We have got to start reading the Word of God. Repent first. Repent. Father God, I ask that you send repentance to these men and popes that have no idea what they're talking about. I ask that you would correct them, forgive them, and give them a supernatural love, a supernatural hunger for the Word of God, Father. I pray, Father God, for the teaching gift upon them, Father God, that you would open their eyes, that they would behold wondrous things out of your law, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is misunderstanding of scriptures like this. We miss out on the blessing of God. We miss out on the truth of God. Judging, it's a blessing. I don't mind being judged by God. I don't want to be living in sin. I don't want to be living wrong. I need somebody to correct me. I'm not perfect. I get that. I got a long way to go. But I want someone to say, Ron, that's wrong. I want to live right. I'm a Christian. I don't want to live in error. And so God sends people our way. God's sending me. Now, to who's ever listening to this, that if you're having problems about judging people, you need to check your heart at the door and make sure you're not judging to condemn. You're not looking down on people. But your goal and your heart and your motive is to correct them. Remember, our message is what? Our message is always truth. And what is our motive? Our motive is always love. Jesus tells us he didn't come into the world to judge the world, but he will and he does. He does but not for condemnation. We must study the word. Remember, Jesus is speaking to us today through the word. We must study the word for ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit. Let him tell you what he means, right? Judgment is under such assault in the church. And why? Because while the world judges to condemn, church judgment is to correct. And if we have removed the ability of the church to correct, whether it's the sinner or the saint, then we're all going to wind up in the ditch. The apostasy will continue to flourish, we'll lose more than we win, and we'll be answerable to God about that. Don't be cowardly in teaching the Word of God. Judgment done by the church, when done with the Word, enables people to repent and get back on the narrow path. Yes, judgment for some can be a matter of life and death, and God has entrusted you with the task. We must return to a holy respect for the Word of God. If one doesn't have a heart for the Word of God, that same someone will be lacking in respect of having a heart for the Son of God. Remember, the Word of God is alive. Hallelujah. I pray that you fall in love. I pray that you have a supernatural hunger for the Word of God. The Word of God is a person. The Word of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read, we are communicating with the essence of the creator of all life. Our spirits are being enlightened, being brightened with the life of God from this relationship. Communicating with the creator of life is life giving. He is our light. He is our life and he is our truth. John sixteen sixty eight. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. These words are more than just words on a page. They are life itself. Once more, the word of God is associated with life. And not just any life, but eternal life. One cannot separate the words of Jesus, the word of God, from the life of God. They are synonymous. He's God, remember? He creates life just by speaking. His voice carries such authority. He spoke and the worlds were formed. The word brings life. The word creates, John six sixty three. I'm going to read this in the Amplified. It is the Spirit who gives life. He is the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit, whatever. There is no profit in it. The words, truths that I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. There is no more powerful force in all of creation than the Word of God. When Jesus spoke, he was speaking words of life to those who would receive it. When the gospel is preached, it brings life to those who will receive it. Man was created to receive these words of life. Yes, it's the word of God that carries the power to save lives, not the words of man. It's why the gospel must never be changed. It's why you don't leave out parts or add parts to the gospel. It's the word of God in gospel form that is the only power able to save folks. We love you. We'll be back next week. I'm enjoying this. Open your Bible. Read your Bible. Get to
1: know the Messiah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.